learn, be a sponge, try to get your ideas, try to get our other ideas, but don't let your hubris take over you. Don't think you're better than anybody else because you can be good, but to be better, you need to be better for yourself. I learn much more day by day, talking to colleagues, talking to friends, listening, etc. Learn from everybody through the path. Observe, listen, and appreciate. Hey, this is Jason Tonioli. I'm a piano player that grew up believing it wasn't possible to earn a living and support a family with music. I've proven that idea was wrong and have met hundreds of other people who have found success with their music. This podcast features stories of musicians who have found their own personal version of success and fulfillment in both music and life. This podcast is meant to inspire musicians and help them believe in their abilities and motivate them to share their talents with others. This is the Successful Musicians Podcast. Well, welcome to the show today. Today, our special guest is Fabrizio Mancinelli. I don't know whether he said that right. Mancinelli <laughs> is Mancinelli. the but I appreciate Mancinelli, which is how 99.9% of people call me here. Well, so even, even a guy with the last name Tonioli, who should be able to speak Italian, now I've, I've just learned something for the day. <laughs> so Fabrizio grew up in Italy, which I think is awesome. And you lived in kind of this really rich cultured town. But you've been doing film scoring and you've been a composer. And I, and I love kind of been able to listen to a lot of the stuff you've done. And it's awesome. But uh, you've been for 12 years now living in L.A. I know you just recently became a, an American citizen, which is awesome as well. Fabrizio, let's let's maybe just dive into your story of, you know, tell us a little bit about growing up and how in the world did you end up in L.A. filming or doing scores for movies? I was born in north of Italy in this city called Cles. And when I was one month and a half, my father and my mother moved back to the hometown of my dad, which is L'Aquila, which I consider my hometown. And it's a beautiful medieval Renaissance city in the in center Italy, one area so Rome that unfortunately suffered a humongous earthquake in 2009. So, but I'm not going to just like insist on the earthquake because the city is much more than that. The beauty of that city made me love art in every form, you know, from architecture to music. We had the beautiful concert institutions, etc. So theater, like I could breathe art in many ways and uh, study at a musical conservatory, local music conservatory, where I got amazing professors, Alessandro Cusatelli for composition, Marcello Buffalini for conducting and many more. Sergio Prodiga would like to mention because he has been a huge influence on me on my choices, because he was actually, he's a composer and he was actually the one who had the conservatory at the end. He said, really, you need to pursue this other field, you know, you need to go to America, etc. The first one who told me I was, I needed to go to America was actually Giancarlo Menotti, who was one of the four or five composers who won twice the Pulitzer Prize. And it was a Kennedy Center honoree, one of the most amazing operatic composer of the 20th century. He was a uh, in his late 80s when I worked with him, early 90s, and I was a young kid, and he told my parents, Fabrizio need to study music in the United States. I'm going to write a letter for him to go to the Curtis Institute in Philadelphia. And my mom said, no, my son is going to be here in Italy. I was 16, so I studied at a music conservatory in my town and uh, still developed more of a love for the art form and for composition. 
My parents made me also study law. I became an attorney as well in Italy. I passed my bar exam, but composition and conducting won at the end and I won a Fulbright grant and I came to America in 2008, 2009 to study at USC at the film scoring program there. But like the love for film scoring evolved from what was my love for opera and uh, from the opera theater because opera was the most complete show and in the 18th 19th century especially 20 early 20th century and that evolved in the social aggregation of what was like the cinematic art uh, in uh, the whole 20th century and then the horror movie like fantasia which uh, combined animation which was one of my passion even though i couldn't draw one single line straight line and uh, music. So Walt Disney was a huge influence for my future choices. And the uh, reason I chose Los Angeles is because the city, when I it came to choose a university to go, I'd been accepted by NYU, USC, North Carolina School of the Arts. They all accepted me with the Fulbright grant, but I chose Los Angeles because it was my first time in the US. I was 29, I believe, at the time. I was like, I have one chance. I want to go see where Walt Disney worked and the city. So this is the choice. The choice was made because of Walt Disney and my huge love. And of course, like it's magic. It's a magic medium, music for film. So that's why it was my choice. I didn't know of all the difficulties of the business, all the difficulties of the profession. And with all the ups and downs of this uh, industry and profession, I still love it. I still love waking up and making music every day. Well, and you've been able to work with a lot of amazing clients. I mean, I know you've done stuff for Walt Disney Studios and Disney Imagineering. I mean, did you ever imagine that you would be actually writing music for Disney when you came over here originally? Well, I was hoping, but uh, I wasn't, you know, nothing is granted. So the when I worked on a documentary, the first thing I did was a documentary called Growing Up with Nine Old Men with Ted Thomas, the son of one of Walt Disney's Nine Old Men great animators, and he trusted me. The thing, the difference in our profession is made of people who are going to just compliment you. Everybody's so talented here. Everybody's awesome. And people who actually will take a chance and a leap of faith in you, not considering how many followers you are you have on TikTok, which makes it easier but on what you're going to be able to deliver. Because like, I think that uh, the real strength of an artist is like also how many people surround you because a number of followers on TikTok in the short term will facilitate the job. But in the long term, you have to have a huge substance. And I'm not like talking bad about TikTok because it's a new medium and I'm very interested and I really much admire many artists that reinvent themselves every day on platforms like TikTok, Instagram. We all live of that. But there is also what is important in the long term, you know. I, you know, I often talk to a colleague and we always think of wanting to be the last ones who leave the table after a game. You know, you, you don't want to win right away and leave the table you want to continue to play and enjoy the game it's like a diesel car that takes more to warm up and then uh, it goes long distance we want to be like that kind and at least it's a choice of course also it's a choice based on age on a different age now i'm 44 so going back to what i was saying is like uh, we we want somebody to hold our hands and trust us and uh, sometimes it's harder to trust 
to be trusted when you're in the beginning. And I have to thank Ted Thomas for trusting me on his documentary and, and Kuniko Okubo, the other producer and his wife, that they were producing this documentary and they, I demoed for them. They saw something in me. They saw that they could give me an opportunity. That is like the opportunity. It's the same that Andreas Deja, legendary Disney animator, left the company, started working on his thing. He knows me humanly. He knows that I wasn't asking him. And then all he has this short that he's doing, and there is a song by Richard Sherman, but he asked me to do the rest of the score. And he asked me much before, since Mushka, the working on Mushka, this uh, featurette lasted eight, nine years. I hadn't done my animated features yet. I hadn't done my musical yet. I hadn't done my documentaries yet, my features. He asked me then. And uh, the fact that I got more experience throughout the path, it was beneficial to the film in terms of me going back and perfecting certain solutions. But like he gave me a hand when I just had arrived here. Those things mean so much to me because I will always remember that. Well, and I think that's that's a very interesting that there are people that want to give you an opportunity as you as you look back, I mean, it must have been really scary coming over, you know, you're starting out at University of Southern California there in LA, and there's probably a ton of really talented people that are all have the same dream as what you had. What advice would you maybe have for somebody who is wanting to be a composer? Because my, my guess is you probably have, you know, 30 or 50 or whatever many students are in that room, and they're probably all wanting to talk to that one director. They'll probably push each other over just to be able to, to build that relationship. What advice would you have for people who, who are wanting to be a composer? To be a composer, the first advice I give, study to be a composer, or at least analyze a lot of music. Build your sensibility. A composer, a film composer, you need to build a storytelling sensibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all related. Love the art form. It was necessary to me. There's not one path. There is a lot of styles in film composing. Not everybody needs to be orchestral composer or anything like that. There is space for everybody. So the study part, each one and their own experience. But for my experience, there is two ways like of networking. And I chose always the path in which I didn't have to give my business card before developing like a nice chat with a person or being pleasant. Be yourself. Because otherwise, who will end up meeting people that are like you in the end? in the very end. But I've been in situations in which I had colleagues basically really stepping on my feet while I was talking to somebody to introduce themselves. Did I fight back? No, because it talks what the person are, you know, at the end of the day. You know, you're going to get a gig. And then what? If you don't develop something more than a gig with a director, if you're not respectful, I mean, it's your path, it's your choice, but everybody has their own way, you know? Like, I am a firm believer that what I write is different from what a colleague can write. We're not interchangeable. The moment we become interchangeable, AI will totally eliminate us. That's the main thing. The moment, like, music for film is not written one way. That's the thing. Like, every artist, why do we remember certain actor? And why there are a lot of generic actors. The generic actors are interchangeable. What do we want to do? I'm not pretentious to say, okay, I'm not a generic actor. I might be a generic actor, but even in that being generic, I try to be myself 
and lead my business my own way. And leading my business means that the directors I work with are usually people that have come to trust me because of who I am humanly. People that I have discussions beyond the job that we're doing and talking about life in order for me to better understand what the artistic vision that they have. Because if I understand what they really think globally about the art form, about what they are doing, I work better with them. I think like developing long-term relationships, even in art form and not a one gig, one off thing requires our attention. I understand like patience and attention are like gifts that nowadays seem weird to talk about. Like we have not patience. We watch videos, very quick videos, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, memes, etc. And so like concentrate for some time requires, like in any relationship, have a long-term love relationship with a significant one because it requires work every day. And the same on something like the working on films, etc. I always make fun and I call my retirement friends the ones who will call each other when they don't need each other. Make retirement friends and everything will follow. I'm scared, of course, like everybody else, when I finish big works and then there is a period of time in which there is less and you don't know where to look, you don't know the direction. And then at the end of the day, you will figure it out. You will figure out that life for me has always worked, that I planted the seeds naturally and the flowers came at the right time. As I look back, I mean, even looking back 15, 20 years ago when I was very first started to go into the studio and record music. Chuck Myers, he's been kind of a mentor of mine for a long time, but we were chatting one night and he said, he goes, my friends that are working in the corporate world and the business world, he said, they look at what I'm doing and they say, how do you do this? You do this amazing job, you score this video game or the movie or whatever it was he was working on. And then as soon as you're done, everybody's giving you high fives and telling you how amazing your work was. Then the next thing is, well, okay, that was great. Now you're fired. You're not necessarily fired, but the job's over. I always say that we are naturally fired. Right. I'm naturally fired because <laughs> I'm hired on a job that as a time frame. I'm naturally fired. My wife has a stable job as a lawyer. I have an unstable job. Her difficulty is like repeating every day what she's doing. Not having to search, but working on the thing. My difficulty is like every day searching for something new. Not every day, but every job. Now, I remember him telling me that he goes, well, I told my friends that, well, you work at this job and you just got a pink slip. You've been there for 12 years working and you just got laid off. And so he goes, at least with my job, I know when it's going to be done and move on. So he goes, I feel like I have more control of the stability of my work than you maybe in this you know, big company or somewhere where you have this high up position or stable work. And he says, the reality is I think your jobs are more or less stable more so than than me as a composer where I do the project and do a good job. And if I do a good job, more people will come and ask me to do more. I think it's a little bit of a stress, anxiety. It's not for everybody, I think, to be able to have that uncertainty. But I think going into this, it's been interesting to just kind of look at it maybe from his perspective is you're actually less stable than I am as a musician. That's what he tells me. I think one thing that we need to consider always is that patience, which is I'm saying right now, but I mean, like, I come from three projects that were, like, taking so much of my time. And now I have a few projects, but they are slower. And, of course, like, the first thought is, like, oh, my God, nobody's going to hire me again on bigger things. 
And then it happens regularly. Fortunately, I've been lucky, you know, knocking on wood. But it's a lifestyle that's not for everybody. Really, you need to be patient. You need to be positive. You need to be hardworking. Because when there is work, you need always like trying to be the best version of yourself as a musician and as a human in what you do. Also to try to be an inspiration to other people. Because there have been people who have been an inspiration to me. And I want to be an inspiration to other people. You will choose in your life, in your professional life, who are the people you want to be like and the few you don't want to be like. And I know exactly who are the few, not with anger, not with the like. There have been people who have like slammed doors in my face and not in a nice way. I forgive. I don't forget, which doesn't mean I'm ever going to do something bad, but I don't want to be like them. With my team, I always try to be talking fairly. I always want them to be my friends or other than just collaborators. And not because I want to pay them less. I want to ask for favors, etc. No, because I also want to feel if they are not feeling treated fairly, I want them to tell me instead of doing the job and be sad. Those are things that I've learned because there have been times in which I work for less, etc. And there has not been a clear conversation, nice conversation beforehand. And, you know, fairness is one of the things that we have to do when we are leader of a team and not boss. We need to be leader. The leader is the one who wakes up first and goes to sleep late. And he's the one who guides, the one who is holding hands, the one who solves a problem instead of asking somebody to solve it. We need to be good leaders or good team players. And I'm sure as you've produced music and you've hired people to come in and record and, and help out on projects. There's an emotional level, I think, of with a lot of the music. And if somebody is unhappy or not in a good headspace, you know, as much as we want to say, well, it doesn't come out, I think there's an emotional factor that oftentimes comes out in the music that you need to be aware of for producing music or writing music. Have you found that through at all or in experiences you've had? Of course, because I'm not just a technical composer writing four chords in a row and writing ostinatos. I try to get the emotions from the director and put them in the music and add in mine and my experience. And so like there is a lot of involvement. There are some days that I go back into my home and since I've exercised at the gym for hours while I've only been writing music because I'm all like, I'm all empty, empty because I work and I put all I have in the music. What do you do to find inspiration for songs? I mean, when these directors come to you and say, here's the thing I want to do, I mean, do you research for a lot of time? Does it just sometimes pop in your head? What do you do to prepare that? Actually, research, 90% of the research is done through the studies and through everyday listening, you know, even we don't do it on purpose. That's the 90% of the research. Then there is the 10% that we can do specifically on a project. But sometimes part of that 10% for me is a walk. I take a walk and I still thinking, I start thinking, I start a process, which is like a process of digestion, like metabolizing and transforming the food into enzymes that uh, can like keep our body going. And I do that with music. So I try to transform my experiences into music or a song or whatever. Yeah. Is there an instrument you enjoy playing the most or composing the most? I only play the piano, but like being a conductor, I know, and a composer, I know all the instruments. It depends. There is not a favorite because it's like, do you like red? It's like, you know, kids might tell, oh, my favorite color is green. My favorite color is red. I like all the colors. 
and all the nuances. Because based on experiences, I can like enter different realms, you know, and uh, enjoy different realms. If you were in front of a college class, you go, let's say you go back 12 or 15 years, whenever it was, you were back in school. What advice do you feel like most of these aspiring artists and composers need to have somebody tell them and remind them of? So, Mike, I remember, and I'm not blaming him because he was a great, he's a great composer, he was a great professor. But when I was coming to America, my composition teacher at the end of conservatory told me, oh, yeah, you know, you're going to go and nobody's going to know more than you. So I would never say a phrase like this <laughs> when he graduate students, because I came to Los Angeles and wherever you turn, there is so much talent <laughs> that... I think I would rephrase in a different way. Said you've studied all you can. Now you go and learn from every person you meet in life. Learn, be a sponge, try to get your ideas, try to get our other ideas, but don't let your hubris take over you. Don't think you're better than anybody else. Because you can be good, but to be better, you need to be better for yourself. And that's the thing. I think I learn much more day by day, talking to colleagues, talking to friends, listening, etc. That that becomes all part of. It's not a competition in which to see who is faster. That's the only way to find yourself. So I would say, learn from everybody through the path. Observe. Listen. And appreciate. I love what you're saying where every person around you, you can learn from, even though they might not be, maybe they're not as talented as you, but I think you can learn quite a bit. Talent is a very personal thing, you know? In an academic world that I came from, like maybe electronic music would not be seen as, as important as concert music, but it is. Because it's different color. It's a different you, it's the same comparing apples and oranges. So comparing talents would be comparing apples and oranges. Because my talent that I see as mine is like my eyes are green, somebody else's eyes are blue. Which eyes are nicer? You know, it's very subjective, but there's nothing we can change about that who we are, you know? Like I cannot change who I am. That's it. Like uh, I can always learn, even if another person, like their melodies are not as my melodies, but they have a sense of rhythm that's better than mine, you know, or some, there's always something balancing, I think. But it's, it's kind of, you know, your example of the electronic music, I mean, it's a lot like a chef. I've had some people describe, you know, a chef has all of these different ingredients and it's not that you need salt and you need pepper and you need so many great flavors. And it's not that there's one that's wrong, but sometimes you can put too much of a of an ingredient in that thing you're cooking and it, it doesn't maybe play as well. But every one of the ingredients that if used properly can be amazing, can make a really great dish, right? Yeah, of course. One of the greatest composers of opera was also a great chef, Rossini. And, and I like to cook. As well, I'm Italian, of course, I like to cook. I made gnocchi the other day and I was dosing the ingredients very easily. My tomato sauce is very simple. I don't like when people put too many ingredients. I think you can destroy a dish if you put too many ingredients. And even in music, you need to be true to yourself. I think anything needs to be justified when we write, for instance. Like if you need to be more difficult, 
it's you need to be like uh, to justify that. Right. Well, and oftentimes I find that really simple melodies when you I mean you said you use piano a lot i think sometimes the simple piano is harder to write than stuff with lots of notes and chords and to do it well it's it takes a lot of effort to get yeah yeah something simple. that some yeah something that looks simple at times is very hard to write very because like if it doesn't come natural you're faking simplicity and uh doesn't come out correctly it's almost like you're trying to cover up the fact that it's not as as good. Yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. It's very <laughs> difficult to be natural and simple at the same time. Absolutely. Our podcast is called The Successful Musicians Podcast. And it's interesting as I talk to different guests and ask them, you know, what do you envision as success as a musician? I mean, some people have the idea that it's financial. Some people have the idea of doing what they love. I'm curious, you know, what is your definition now that you've been doing this, you've been doing music for well over 20, 25 years now, professionally, what do you consider success? Success is like waking up and continuing to want to do it, waking up and being able and being given a chance to do it. I always look at my parents and at my family and my dad is a doctor, my mom is a teacher and we look at our family. I look at our family, you know, I wanted in my life to have a family like mine with a different job. Being able to do this different job, but having a family with my wife and my daughter and waking up, having them as my priority, but being a musician together with that, you know, like waking up and my job is like I get to my studio, write music, or I try to talk to directors to get to score their things or like I have meetings, etc. Still, though, being a musician, that's for me, it's a success that I have worked in music for since I decided to be a composer in my life, since I like figured out I could do it. That is a success. Success is not waking up from this dream and success is like passing those sad moments in which you have a creative block and figuring out that you can continue, you know, it goes beyond those moments. It's not only a financial thing nor a fame thing because I get some interviews, I get some reviews, I get to hear my music on a film. But like at the end of the day, I've always learned to be happy in the moment, be content. Success is being able to be content. Ambition is important, but also when you're starting to be happy wherever you are in your life at this moment I'm here, baby steps or big steps will come and will make you progress. And you will not even like notice that because it will be part of your path. And that is success. You know, it's a state of mind. It's a state of my soul. And it's like something I've always had. And I feel that this way, in my personal way, people might disagree, but I've been successful since I started. Because I was always smiling, even in front of rejected demos. As I look back, and I know this is true of a lot of people, you look at those times that were difficult or that were hard to go through. And you talked about growth. A lot of those things help you grow. And the fact that you can learn to be happy and in those moments and then continue to look back and be like, wow, appreciate where you are and also where you've been, but not living in the past maybe is pretty powerful. So. 
As you look back on some of the projects you've worked on, is there one or two songs or projects that you're most proud of or that you feel like that's one of your best works you've ever done? Well, some of my, in all of them, I would be like uh, indelicate if I just mention like one or two. But there is something that calls for my soul, which is like the Land of Dreams, the musical feature I did, because it talks about Italian immigrants coming to the United States in the 1920s. And I wrote many songs thinking of myself and talking to myself about making it, about having uh, a life here, etc. You know, developing a dream and believing in my dream and making it. So that is one project that I care for personal reasons. But Mushka is another one because I got to work with my idols, Richard Sherman, Andreas Deja. And calling them friends is something surreal because they're real friends. They're not just like work friends. Andreas is like European like me. He's a Disney legend. He's the, the greatest animator, I think, that we've had for a long, long time after the Nine Old Men. He's part of that group of the New Old Man together with Blinkin. I mean, they are geniuses. And Andreas is like me, European. So he's the one who has collected together with other friends, my tears, you know, etc. I'm working with them. Richard gave me a chance of doing the Disney movie I always wanted to do, you know, the Disney kind of movie I grew up, even though it's not a Disney movie, but it's a movie by a Disney legend, which has all the influence of the great Disney animation in that. And Richard Sherman, I mean, the composer of Mary Poppins, writing a theme. So that is another example. But my collaboration with Alessio Liguori was a director who became a friend over the distance. We did two movies together. Every kind of project with Andrea Magnani. I don't want just to mention one or two with the risk of not making the other feel like loved. Like Matthew Thompson, you know, we did a documentary recently, Sabrina Doyle. There is so many. Every project is special for something for a relationship to the director, for a laughter we shared, for an emotional moment we shared with the team. What's a piece of you? What's interesting is to listen to you tell the story. You were happy in that moment. I can tell that just you felt content and happy in that moment. That's the definition of success you just described. It's awesome. I have a very close friend of mine from school, so from another world, that could call me everybody's friends. And it's not that I don't have uh, quality choices in having friends. But I really have a place for each and every one of them in me because I have one life and the joy of so many smiles from friends is so important. I don't want to sound naive. I'm not Pollyanna or things like that. But honestly, there is really a space for many, many people inside my heart. Of course, there is a special place, my family, my wife, my daughter, but that's a different department. That's my like privé room. And we're about out of time. It's interesting to listen to you talk about, I can tell you celebrate the success and the good things that your friends have. And I think as we were starting out talking earlier, you mentioned there's some of these composers that'll step on toes or that are trying to nudge their way in. And I think sometimes when people are want to take somebody else out or step on somebody else to get that job, the long-term relationships that you're talking about that really create a lasting career. I think being nice and just being a good human being and celebrating success for everybody. I mean, that's how you last in this business, I think. Yeah, I want to mention a colleague who is a brilliant musician, but an even more brilliant human being without taking anything away from his amazing, great music that I look at. And it's Chris Bowers. Chris Bowers is a genius, is one of the greatest composers and film composers of our time. And he's younger than me. He's been friend for eight years. We met at the Sunnets Fellowship. I've had the honor of conducting many of his scores, but also he's a generous human being. 
Like I've always witnessed him putting the spotlight on colleagues, putting the spotlight on, even during his sessions, even during his personal stuff. He doesn't miss a chance to be generous. And his music really reflects his generosity. And I can say that his sessions are amongst the happiest moments in the industry because it's like he is the human that will develop lifelong relationships. He's the human that I enjoy getting a coffee with in a morning walk, talking about our daughters, our wives, our families, our life. Not only what's next gig going to be, when is it going to happen? You know, it's generous. Is the friend visited me on my birthday with a gift that he knew I loved because we share a passion. Is that kind of people? There is a lot of them in this industry as well. Those are the ones that don't need to step on anybody's feet to talk to director because directors will go to them because there is like that energy that comes. That I hope I can be one as well. And not on purpose, not making any effort. Because at the end of the day, there are things we can learn, but there are things that are part of us. We can get better, but like it all goes back to education at home as well. You know, raising, bringing at home, I think. It's interesting to listen to you talk about these people that it almost sounds like they bring out the best in others. People do that. I think it does attract other positive people. And it's not so much that they're looking for that glory or the attention. They just naturally help people want to be better and perform better. Yeah, there is another composer that I love to mention is an older one, is my dad's age. And he's Carlos Iliotto, was nominated for Golden Globes years ago for Nomad, another movie, who was like, when I moved here to America, and maybe, yes, the Italianity was a connection through a common friend, but he made me feel welcome around him. He gave me like some chances to work with him, to learn. These people are like the people that made me also like want to stay like people like him people like chris afterward like make me want to be part of this i'm very grateful to have had like professors like kenny hall the late kenny hall was the music editor on et poltergeist it was the historical music editor of jerry goldsman and it was a mentor to me usc when i studied or like john burlingham film music historian was like brilliant brilliant and knowledgeable human being who made me understand that we can walk in the footsteps of this giant. And last but not least, Richard Kraft, who is uh, one of the greatest agents in the history of film music, was like a generous and with his time, with his knowledge and with his passions, whom I really loved, not because he was the most powerful agent at the time and he's still one of the most powerful agents at the time, but because of our Disney connection. Like understanding connections that are beyond music makes you understand that one thing can last and it's friendship. Any professional relationship can last more or less. But friendship, if we work well enough with our souls, can last forever. I feel like you've just given a master class on how to do sales, but the beauty of it, it's it's not sales at all in the music business. It's friendships. I hope this is going to help a whole lot of people as they're considering going down the path or just even just in music, anywhere in the music business. It's not just as a composer, but anywhere in life even. So thank you. My pleasure to be on your podcast. So, and and Fabrizio, if people want to go check out more of your music or want to learn more about you, where should they go? There is my website. There is my my website, Fabrizio Mancinelli. I'm sorry. It's like, it's a foreign name. I hope when you're going to post this, you can spell it out for them. We'll we'll put it in the show notes for sure. FabrizioMancinelli.us or FabrizioMancinelli.com. 
uh, either works and there is my website where they can either even contact me also on social media, etc. And they can check my music there or on my Spotify. There is some albums on Spotify, some albums on Apple Music, Amazon and all the streamers title, etc. And I hope they can enjoy and then uh, even give me feedback on music or even write to me if, uh, you know, I try to be responsive because uh, I've been asking and people responded to me. So I need to do the, the same. Well, Fabrizio, thank you so much again. I have no doubt this is going to help multiple people. I and mean, if, if you're listening to this, this rings true with you, you know, share this with other people that you think might benefit from it as well. That That makes all the difference in getting this out to more and more people. Thank you again for your time. And thanks a lot. See ya. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, it's Jason here. And I hope you've gotten a lot of value out of this episode. Be sure to check out our show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you'd like to support our podcast, there's a few things that you can do to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, it will help ensure that you don't miss a future episode. Second, if you'll share it with your friends on social media or send it via email or message, it helps us spread the word as well. And third, if you'll leave an honest review, it really helps with the algorithms so that other people can find our podcast. Finding success and fulfillment in the music industry is possible. And I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.